Welcome to MO Forum 2014. I'm joined by Jeff Kidney, who is a senior writer, journalist, and columnist at uh, the National Press Gallery. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Uh, the idea of the discussion today is to go back to your experience when you first started working as a journalist in Canberra. And the question really that I'm seeking to address is how has uh, the political discourse changed over that period and in association with it, how uh, have the methods and approach to media reporting changed? And really what are the implications uh, for the future of those changes? Are they good, are they bad? Um, what does it all mean uh, for political debate in this country? Mm -hmm. So welcome. And Thanks, Pat. I wonder if you could start by just um, giving us the origins of your move to Canberra. I think <coughs> you were telling me off air it was a very long time ago. <laughs> yeah, T too long to remember, really. Um, well, I started in journalism in country newspapers in Western Australia. Um, my father was a farmer. Um, and a for a very brief period a country party politician. Did he know Peter Walsh? And no, he was sort of pre-Peter Walsh, right, which okay. is going yeah. back a long way. Um, and um, I got uh, because my father was a politician, the, the editor of the paper said you can report politics. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's where it all started, right. uh, entirely accidentally. Um, I then got uh, uh, posted to Canberra as the Canberra correspondent for the Perth Daily News, as it was called, now defunct. Uh, like all afternoon newspapers all over the world, all gone. And was um, that a Fairfax? No, that was a. It was, owned, it was owned by WA Newspapers, right. um, which subsequently became owned by the Herald and Weekly Times. Okay. Um, and is now owned by um, um, the West Australian Entrepreneur. Oh, uh, Stokes. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, Kerry Stokes. Um, I arrived in Canberra on the weekend of the Bass by-election, mm. which was the. By election 1974, 1975, 75, uh, June yeah. 75. It was the by election to find a successor to uh, Lance Barnard, who had left the Whitlam government to take up a diplomatic posting. And it was the beginning of the last six months of the, of the last five months of the Whitlam government. Wow. And, uh, so, uh, it was just crisis after crisis. Times. Absolutely turbulent. And Lance times. Barnard was um, the occupant of uh, one of two. Uh, cabinet positions That's right. when uh, the Whitlam government was Probably there. the period of the greatest flurry of reform ever yeah. in Australia. So we had a two man cabinet. They said up a two man cabinet. Yes. Got Whitlam and yeah. Lance Barnard. Yeah. And then so he went off yes. for a diplomatic yes. posting. Yeah. And I have memories of this too. This was a period when. Uh, this Bass by-election was seen to be a test yes, of the right. standing of the Whitlam government. And, and Labor got thumped, absolutely no. thumped. And that was when the coalition began to think about the possibility of blocking supply, right. that this government was a disastrous government that had to be removed. And then we had you know, six months or five months of, of turmoil between the House and the Senate. Yes. Um, and was the Kemlani affair that running was, at yes, that time? Yes, it started to run very soon after that. The Mons affair occurred, I think, in July, the beginning. Uh, Whitcomb actually recalled Parliament for a, a one-day sitting in, I think it was July the 9th, something yeah. like that, um, to, he said, table all the documents, um, you know, mm. have, give the opposition the chance to ask all the questions, bring the whole thing to a head and bring oh, it to okay. an end. After that, I think, and this is testing my memory, but I mm. think it was after that that was revealed that, uh, that Connor, Rex Connor, had been secretly negotiating 
with uh, uh, Middle Eastern interests to uh, for funds to uh, develop resource projects in Australia, and that includes the gas pipeline from yes. the west. Yeah, also right well, yeah, there was a whole agenda of things that he wanted to do. Um, and Whitlam sacked him because uh, he hadn't told Whitlam, <laughs> and uh, then the whole Kemwani thing emerged, yeah. and, uh, and it was just extraordinary. I think um, somebody told me that um, I had the longest run of page one lead stories ever on by one reporter right on, on the newspaper going back through throughout so who was your source yeah. <laughs> <laughs> didn't need sources then <laughs> everybody was falling over themselves to to, to, to have to, a chat yeah exactly so uh, you were with the Perth Daily News for some time and then joined another outfit called the National Times that's right yeah I was hired to become the political correspondent in Canberra for the National Times which was a Fairfax publication yeah um, famous uh, for its investigative reporting, yes. um, seen as uh, liberal left, I suppose you would say. Um, um, so that progressive of, left, not liberal party left. No, yeah, no, yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, uh, it was, I think, it was essentially a very. It, it was a, a newspaper that uh, had the best ideals of journalism, which was sceptical journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, not taking on face value anything that was yeah. put to it. Um, willing to be to take risks to investigate, um, you know what was going on behind the, the you know the seats of power and so on, um, and uh, yeah, it was a very interesting newspaper to work on. Well, I didn't know you in those days, but I too uh, was a contributor to the National Indeed, Times. Indeed, I remember. And, uh, for our demo <laughs> forum, being a pretty good uh, collector of bowbird of uh, documents, I kept this. And that's a story of mine about um, tax avoidance. Um, the more things change, the more they seem to stay the, cha- uh, stay the same. And you're on page... You relegated me to page three. Page th- oh, yeah, it was a great story. Um, I was at the ANU at that time. So that's you, Fractures Show in Cabinet over Fraser's dead-end course. And there you are again on page five. Quick decision likely on Granny Bond plan. Don't know what happened to the no. <laughs> The quick decision must have been to dump it. Yeah, I presume so. But anyway, the point of that is um, this is a major um, document that involves uh, the results of a fair bit of investigative reporting, mm. and the chances of seeing something like that these days would be negligible yeah, to zero. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it doesn't, doesn't exist really anymore. Yeah. So this is what I really wanted to talk about. You've um, uh, come in at the latter stages of the Whitlam government, you've reported through the period of the Fraser government, Hawke government, Keating government, Howard government, Rudd government and Gillard government and now Abbott government. Um, That's a lot of experience and you would have noticed a lot of changes. So I wanted to go on to ask you what has been the, if you could summarise the change that has occurred in the nature of the political debate, I'm not seeking to be party political here, mm. the nature of, and content of the debate and the role of the media, if there is one, in those changes. Mm. Well, it's ebbed and flowed, of course, um, through all of that period. Um, and there have been different ideas of what constituted reform. Obviously, the Whitlam government had a very dramatic social agenda yeah. um, and introduced reforms that have stood the test of time, that are still, you know, which changed the nature of Australia. Like um, Medicare, uh, yeah, Medibank, which yeah. became Medicare. And Free University, for, yeah. you know, which is probably, in many ways, the most significant reform. Mm. Um, um, the family law 
issues a whole lot of things. Um, in those days, nobody really talked about economic reform. No, that's <laughs> uh, right. Uh, yeah. Until I think Goff was a bit bored by it. Uh, well, Goff wasn't really interested in economics mm. um, and made some bad appointments to to to, uh, to the treasurer. Um, and it was only really the last uh, few, six months. I can't remember when Bill Hayden was Bill appointed. Bill Hayden but became treasurer. Hayden was well, the, was he treasurer? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And actually, Bill Hayden was probably the first significant Australian politician to talk about the need for Australia to, yeah, for a, yeah. a, an economic reform agenda. His task, though, was basically to rescue the budget. Yes. Um, and he did a pretty good job of that. Mm. In fact, the last Whitlam budget really did start to, you know, he did make some significant progress in winding back spending and yeah. so on. But, of course, um, that budget was the one that got blocked by the Senate and uh, which brought down the Whitlam government ultimately. Um, the I think through the Fraser years... Um, there was growing impatience in the economists and probably in some section of the business community about the fact that Australia needed to start doing some really bold economic things. Yeah. Um, the Fraser cabinet was dominated by the country party. Uh, Fraser himself was um, instinctively a farmer and instinctively yeah. protectionist. Mm. Um, so um, uh, it was only really when Hawke came into office um, when economic reform really became the central issue in yeah. Australian politics. Now, I think Treasurer Howard, he replaced Phil Lynch, he was into the reform stuff. But Absolutely. Didn't seem to get and much. he was, um, I didn't don't know, the, the story that you referred to in, the, in, the, in that may well have been related to the fact that Howard and the, the people around him um, were, were the ones who were very impatient about the fact right. that Fraser yeah. just wasn't interested in yeah. the reforms yeah. they... Um, I think in that context, um, the the drives in the Liberal Party, um, so-called economic drives. Yes, John Hyde. Yes, John Hyde. Bert Kelly actually going back, uh, right. and you know, from the financial review point of view, uh, Bert Kelly started writing a column called "The Modest Farmer" in the Financial Review in the seventies, I think, where mm -hmm. he advocated uh, reductions in tariff protection yeah. and you know, broad economic reform, um, and the drives picked up that agenda. And Howard became their leader in in politics yes, in Fred Parliament, and but he was he was outnumbered in mm. the, the Fraser government and um, really wasn't able to do much. Yeah. Um, but the significant thing about that was when Hawke and Keating um, began to embrace the reform. reform Howard was basically um, in support of that yeah. agenda. So you, for the first time, had a focus on economic reform and. A level a general of bipartisanship. bipartisanship. Yeah. yeah, that's right. It wasn't pure bipartisanship. No. But um, Howard was very strongly criticised in the Liberal Party in those days for not being critical enough, not being oppositionist enough uh, to, uh, to Fraser. Well, it can be argued it helped to, him become Prime Minister. Because, ultimately. Because he, by 1996, he'd been around for a fair while. Yeah. He had a consistency exactly right. of approach. But, and I said, well, we know this guy. We'll but in, in 1985, 86, 87... Mm. Um, that criticism of Howard became the Joe for Canberra movement. Yes. When, you know, the, those, well. yeah, exactly, the hardline conservatives in on the conservative side of politics decided that Howard was, you know, a disaster. Yeah. <laughs> and they had to get go into Canberra to, uh, mm. you know, to take on the Labor Party. So, um, so the fact that there were two things about that reform period. One was a degree of bipartisanship, which helped, um, yeah. the, you know, get some big things done. 
um, and uh, the fact that um, after the Jova Canberra forces started, uh, there was effectively no opposition. You know, the opposition just fell away. It became mm. completely obsessed with itself. Yes. Um, and uh, and Howard and uh, Keating and Hawke were able to dominate the debate yeah. in Australia. That's after. true. And I started working for mm. Hawke at that time. Yes. Within days of Hawke getting warning of us becoming a banana republic, I yes. was asked to help draft a speech yes. <laughs> about all of that. But yeah. um, yeah. events... Uh, the other thing about that, I think, looking at it now in, in the historical context, was that was um, an unusual period in Australia. Yeah. It was a period when reform was possible because of those factors and because of the unique relationship between the Labor leadership then and the trade union movement. Yeah. And the Which harnessing... was pretty powerful. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. About 60% of all working Australians were members of unions. Right, yeah, yeah. And now it's less than 20%. Yes, yeah, well, that's another one of the big mm. changes. But uh, the, the Keating-Kelty relationship was extremely important yeah. in um, identifying the need for reform and getting a consensus for reform. And Hawke brought his great uh, public uh, credibility the conciliation. Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, and bringing, group, and right? also what was interesting about that was the willingness of business to yeah. cooperate with a Labor government. Um, In fact, that's when the Business Council of Australia was formed. That's right, yes. Um, the economic the summit. larger companies yeah. wanted to have a that's place right. at the table yes. and not just be that's right. in an adversarial situation. That's right. So there was a coincidence of factors there that um, meant that change was possible in a way that normally in Australia it's not. Mm. And one of the problems I think now is that you don't have that no. consensus or, you know, that sort of uh, coincidence of, of personalities, of, uh, of uh, circumstances in the economy um, and of, um, you know, the, the, yeah. the organisations, the, yeah. you know, all the people with an interest yeah. in all coming together at the one time. Yeah. So. Well, I think in the interest of time, I and mean, we could go then through the Howard government, the Rudd government, the Gillard government, but you've really touched on where this conversation needs to go, and that is what is different now compared with um, that period of reform? Why is there no consensus, and um, how is political debate or discussion, debate might be making it a bit lofty, mm. uh, how is this, this political discussion conducted these days compared with an important period which was a reform era? Um, well, I think um, just going back to the very basic level, um, the reform agenda then was big, big things. It mm. was things that were in the power of the federal government essentially to yeah. change. I think the reform agenda now is much more dispersed yeah. and and involves a lot more um, people who have to make decisions to allow things to change. For example, state governments. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the, the um, seamless economy reforms mm. require the states to make decisions. So the whole thing has become more dispersed and yeah. more, more difficult from, from that point of view. Um, there are other things that happened, I think, that have made it harder now and may mean that we'll never get back to that period of when the whole political you know, the whole um, conversation was uh, united mm. about what needed to be done. Um, one was, I think, 
the fight back changes that John Hewson proposed, the fight right, back agenda. The early 1990s. Yes, that was yeah. before the 1993 election. When, I mean, I think you can argue that what the Hewson agenda was actually where we needed to go next, mm -hmm. but it became, you know, the, the issue, it, it gave uh, Paul Keating, yeah. you know, the, the huge stick to beat yeah. uh, Hewson to death, basically. And it was about the GST. Well, the GST was a key part of it, yeah. but that agenda was, but that's, that, that was the key but thing. But yeah. that's right. Broader that's right. That, yeah, yeah, it was right. very broad, but the GST was the total and it, it, issue. Um, I know I've debated John Hewson or with him or uh, on television, and uh, he, he kind of uh, both yearns for that period and laments what he <laughs> yeah. did because uh, people well, who are watching MO Forum understand what the small target strategy means. Yeah. yeah. Well, John Hewson was the architect of the big exactly. target strategy. And, and that is the point at which everybody, you know, who's involved in you know, taking political risks uh, looks back and says, don't we do won't it. do that again. Yeah. Don't do that. Well, Andrew Robb was, I think, in the um, Liberal He's Party Secretary director, at yeah. the time. Mm. Um, Linton Crosby. Yeah. Uh, some of these people then say, we'll never forget. Yeah, that's right. And uh, so that sort of took away from the political agenda, the political debate, um, you know, the, the, the willingness, the, 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 the people who were prepared to be brave and but at the same time, um, Keating himself was implementing some important reforms. Yes, he did. National competition policy, not popular no. uh, at all. He did make um, some fundamental changes. The and he began the process of industrialisation. That's right. Yeah, because he Post moved from a still a reasonably centralised yeah. wage fixing system to yeah. enterprise bargaining. Yeah. Very unpopular with the trade union yeah. movement at that time. So it's kind of not as if they no. abandoned reform, but you're no. sort of saying they but abandoned... But the Labor the... Party did abandon Keating after the 96th election. Yes, uh, that's right. Basically, they decided... Repudiated. That, repudiated all... The whole agenda. Exactly. Um, and that was, a, that's a big, that was a big problem, I think, yeah. for the, 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 the reform agenda and reform process. Um, and I don't think the Labor Party's ever really recovered mm. from, you know, from that. Um, I think terrible, terrible judgment. error. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, then Howard, of course, came in. Howard um, uh, and the GST. He introduced the GST. Um, that was an unpopular change, but people ultimately accepted it. I, I, I remember polling on that that was published, which said, "Do you think the GST is in your interest?" Answer: No. Mm. Do you think it's in the national yes. interest? Answer. Yes. yes. Do you support the GST? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, that so was... the instincts of the Australian people have been pretty good. Yes, they have, and I think they're still there. Mm. I think if if you know the case is made, yeah. and uh, you know, I mean, I suppose if you look at the um, at the carbon tax, um, you'd have to argue that if there is a united force against such a reform, yeah. you know, it's a really powerful oppositionist yeah. force, then it's you can't do it. You know. You know, it's really, really. Yeah, uh, and, and I better put my hand up here. I was an opponent of the GST and still think that it wasn't the right policy. Right. Nevertheless, nevertheless, you can't fault the reform um, motivation yes. behind it. Uh, John Howard didn't think that doing this would, you know, harvest a whole lot of votes for him, and it was politically popular. It was quite the opposite. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, 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 but he saw it as as uh, an essential reform. reform. Yeah. yeah, he then moved on to workplace reform, industrial mm -hmm. relations reform, 
and um, um, you know I think work choices uh, I mean you can argue the merits of whether or not that was uh, justified or whether that was we needed to go that far with yeah. workplace reform but it certainly damaged um, the the case for for, for, for economic yeah. reform, you know, it was so you know, to the working to, to the unions yeah. and to working yeah. people, uh, the fact that people were disadvantaged under mm. that system really gave reform mm. a bad name, if you like. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember John Howard expressing shock that businesses took, in some businesses, took full advantage yeah. of work choices. That is. They could cut people's pay and conditions, and did. Yes. And he thought that the flexibility would be uh, well worth having, but he just didn't think that they'd behave that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, um, I'm not talking but, about all business. No, no, no. But some of no, those no. really outrageous um, examples that we used in yeah. Parliament. Yes. But it, it certainly was a very divisive mm. uh, issue. Probably, it was the most divisive, I think, of all of the economic reforms yeah. through that whole period. And has left, um, you know, uh, a residue of, of um, a bit of taste yes, in yeah, terms of people interest. In yeah, exactly, reforms. exactly. So um, then we moved on to to, to the Rudd era and the uh, the climate change issue. Yeah, and you know, the history of that is pretty. Um, I mean, you know, Kevin declaring it as the the moral issue of our time, and mm. then and then abandoning it. Yeah. Um, so I think a whole lot of things have happened. That have discredited the, the, the in the public mind, yeah. um, the political class mm. and the reform agenda. They they don't trust them. Yeah. Um, it, you know, I think it's harder to make the case now for for reform because of that. Now, if uh, people like Professor Ross Garnell are correct, uh, and that without substantial policy reform, we're headed for a prolonged economic slowdown, if not a recession. If that's true, then this is a problem, isn't it? Because if the reforming uh, energy has been sapped through some pretty bad experiences over the last 15 years, then a, a, a non-reforming response to this economic outlook means that you have a recession, you have rising unemployment um, and all well, that goes with it. That's the most bad. pessimistic uh, view of that would be that maybe that's what's going to have to happen. <laughs> I mean, it was the Banana Republic yeah. crisis that really... And the jolt. Exactly, yeah. the jolt, the shock. That um, And, I mean, I hope it doesn't happen, yeah. but it may be that yeah. that's what... I've heard it said that, um, and it's not a bad way of stylizing it, that Australians are good in a crisis, but when there's no crisis, we go to the beach. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Um, yeah. And... Um, I mean, in a general sense, that's true. Mm. Um, so what is the jolt at the moment that yeah. says, um, you know, we really have to get on with this agenda? Um, is it the budget? I mean, is it the fact that, the, you know, we've got a growing debt and mm. fiscal, fiscal policy blowout? Um, I mean, I don't think so. I don't no, think the public's... It doesn't manifest no, itself. The public's worried about debt, yeah. um, but they don't really... You know, it doesn't stop and go to the beach. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so, what can what has to happen to well, avoid I, that disaster? I'll put this to you then, just as a thought. You talked about um, the fellow that used to what was he, the moderate, modest liberal, or the modest farmer. The modest farmer, yes. Yeah. yeah. Now 
his writings, which you say were picked up and then uh, within the Conservative parties were very influential. Um, there's, uh, there are others who are writing at that uh, same time, which is a group essentially of economists, mm. many of them progressive in mm. their personal outlook but wanted a better Australia, more people in work and all that sort of stuff. And they all piled in and uh, wrote these learned papers and and the media at the time was mm. actually propagating Yes, that's stuff, true. Right? Yeah. They were actually projecting it in perhaps not in the daily um, newspapers and the page three, you know, uh, colour girl yeah. photos, but in the kind of um, serious debate, that seems to have well. That's that's the media too. dimension of this, mm. which I think is significant. Um, I think um, in that period, the media opinion was essentially, you know, the influential opinion was in the media, in the print media, it was in the newspapers. Yeah, um, there was, I think, you know, the, maybe in that period of seventy five. Channel Nine was the only news uh, television network that really uh, covered politics in right. great depth. Mm -hmm. um, it was the big, uh, it was the political correspondence and the columnists in the daily newspapers. So it mattered who, what they thought. It mattered. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, now we have a completely different media. Um, the role of newspapers has uh, declined. Um, the media is much more diverse, um, and. Um, so it's much harder for a, you know, a political leader mm. who wants to mobilise opinion yeah. now to do that through a divert, much more diverse media than it was then. Um, I mean, Paul Keating was brilliant at um, uh, seducing, if you like, yeah. uh, political journalists to his, to his cause. Yes. Um, and, I'm I don't think... and I'm told, on the other hand, if they expressed a different point of view, they got a phone call. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> they, were, right. yes, they were legends, the phone calls. <laughs> um, but um, I, don't think there's, I don't think Joe Hockey could do that now. No. Um, you know, it's just, anyway, if he did beat up the, uh, the, the, the political correspondence to support his position, there's vast other sources of uh, information. Um, another thing that's changed, and I think it changed a bit because of people's people were tired of the whole reform, economic reform mm. thing, was the shift in the political debate to cultural issues, to issues, out, right. you know, yeah. um, which have become, which are much more divisive, I think. Mm -hmm. They do divide left and right much yeah. more sharply yeah. than did the economic debate. Um, and so much more energy in the media now goes into uh, that's, you know, that those issues. Yes. For example, you know, I think the predominance of... Uh, of uh, column writers in Australia, either you know, online or in, in the print media or where else, um, are, tend to be from the right and they don't write about uh, economic reform. No. There's very little, if yeah, you pick up those true, columns, yeah. they never write about the economy. Yeah. Or if they do, and if they do they it was say, only well, about... We need a bit more protection. Yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, some of them do, yeah. Some yeah, of them yeah, are actually that's right. anti that's right. Uh, openness. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, so... Well, it, I mean... That that culture uh, culture wars, for want of a better phrase, is actually infecting some of the um, debates that do have economic content, such as uh, the climate change debate. Yes, and uh, yeah, um, yeah. there's a lot of economics in the climate change debate. It's not all about culture, but interestingly, um, you will not find someone from the hard right who believes that there is a problem of climate change. And to be fair. 
you won't find someone from the hard left who believes that there isn't. It's, it's as if this is our tribe and that's your tribe and these are our beliefs. Yes, yeah. And you just don't get the no, that's, that's a classic objective debate uh, anymore. Example of mm. polarisation uh, uh, and the difficulty of building a consensus now on something that's, you know, uh, uh, hotly contested. Yeah. But the majority believes needs to be done. What, so, to, to what extent is this polarisation, which has occurred in the media, do you think that has affected the political debate or is the media reflecting the political debate? That is, has the political debate become polarised, as it has in the United States with the Tea Party and then people who might, you know, on the other side and there's just a knockdown, drag-out brawl every day? Um, so you could argue that's not a product of the media. No, that, no that's right. Yeah. Or is it the product of the media? And then the politicians say, well, unless we come up with um, uh, one-line statements that concur with the preconceived positions of our polar supporters, we're not going to... Well, I think it's a bit of each. Um, And I I couldn't apportion percentages to either either cause. But um, um, I think the media... You know, the, the really strident commentators have had quite a significant effect on public opinion on this. Mm-hmm. And um, but there are other factors. You know, I think the timing of the introduction of the of the uh, the um, ETS mm. um, just as the drought ended. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I think public the public view that there was a crisis and something needed to be done yes. was very much fed by the fact that there was a you know a very very serious drought. And John Howard has recently described that as a perfect storm. Yes. In recanting his yes, own right. mission yeah, yeah, exactly. scheme yeah. when he Which said, says, oh, well, I did that, but, but gee, the politics yeah. was, you know, made me do it exactly. because there was a drought. That's right. And so he said, I didn't, re- you know, the Whereas, I didn't really believe in it in the first place. No, that's place. right. Whereas when uh, Gillard decided to do the carbon tax, mm. we had it rain. <laughs> I mean, you know, it rained every day. For yeah. <laughs> and people said, well, why the hell do we need to do that? Yeah, and, and when... Um, Tony Abbott decided to take this on as, you know, the cause on which he mm. uh, wanted to ride through to become Prime Minister uh, and really strivingly oppose it. Um, people said, well, yeah, well, you know, why, do, why, do, we <laughs> why do we need to do this? Yeah, you know? yeah. And uh, plus the other elements, political elements to that, which made it very, yeah. very hard. So, um, but, uh, yeah, so no, that, that there's, there's a whole combination of yeah. factors. But, and is there a role for technology here? And let me just elaborate. Um, Online media is very important now, yes. and it's not going to diminish in importance. Lonely Crow. So the specialist writers, the investigative journalists, a lot of them are gone because the more conventional media cannot afford to keep them on. Yes. Yeah. Um, does that lead to a superficiality in debate, and therefore um, just go go and get a grab from this extreme group and get another one from this extreme group and put it to air? I think the digitalisation of uh, of the media. Um, has, I mean, people say this is a good thing because it's, you know, means that there's a much wider yeah. uh, opinion base. And, yeah. uh, people can express views on Twitter or whatever. But I think it's also shallower. Mm. I think that they... Broader but Broader shallower. but shallower, yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, you, you don't get on Twitter, mm. a, you know, a you deep economic debate. <laughs> exactly, you can't get a deep economic debate going I've on. I've been that. asked on Twitter to explain <laughs> Labor's economic policy. 140 characters. What, 140 yeah. characters? Also, my sense is that social media, to some extent, 
um, has become uh, a forum for the elite. Mm-hmm. I think Twitter is very much an elitist forum. Yeah. I think it's um, you know it's out in Western Sydney. Not too many not people follow Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> uh, so, but pe- those people who are engaged in the debate are having that debate on Twitter. Yeah. But it's not getting down to yeah. uh, to you know, the Western suburbs or to I, the community more generally. Question, but where do you see it going then? I mean, we've we've created a, a picture here of polarisation of the debate. No. Not even really an attempt at consensus, it seems. You know, like consensus politics doesn't seem right. to be fashionable. And the digital era is just going to intensify, yeah. isn't it? Is it just all gloom? Well, that's going, to, that's going to intensify, that's for sure. Um, Can um, you see I any think, well, positive I, signs? I hate to say it, but I think there is a big role for political leadership in, yeah. in this. And I think there's some difficult decisions to be made by the Labor Party and by Phil Shorten in mm-hmm. particular about whether he's going to be a Tony Abbott-style Opposition. oppositionist or yeah. whether he's going to be, um, you know, uh, a John Howard-style opposition, yeah. if you like, yeah. in the sense of being willing to say, OK, there are issues on which we disagree, but there are issues that we have to mm. identify as issues in the national interest. And he has said that he wants to be in he the He said ladder, that, yes, ladder, but the test will be... Uh, the actual, as each exactly, issue arrives, exactly. because, I mean, human nature, any one issue that arrives, there's a lot of pressure on an opposition leader of whatever political persuasion to oppose it. Yes, exactly. From More within, so than ever. Yeah. From within. Yes, yeah, that's you know. right. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, especially now, because of the way that Tony Abbott yeah, conducted his yeah. campaign to become Prime Minister, a lot of people in the Labor Party said, well, we're going to get back to him what he gave to us. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you can understand that yeah. sentiment, but... Um, but I don't think the media can lead the leaders down this this track. I mean, yeah. in the end, you know, uh, it's it's leaders who, yeah. who set these agendas and and make the case. Um, and what about um, the Prime Minister Tony Abbott? What's his role in this? So well, I, his role is a leadership role as well. Right. Um, and I think we're it's early days, and it's hard yet to d- identify what sort of Prime Minister he's going to be. I mean, he's had a chaotic start. Um, I think the critical thing, the critical moment for in Australia about the issues we're talking about is going to be the response to the um, Audit Commission yeah. and the first budget. So we're going to know pretty quickly. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, I think the, there are some very important people in the coalition who recognise that there are big challenges that have got to be taken on. Um, but I think there are others in the coalition who are old-style mm. conservatives, and I think you can, it's, I mean, the most obvious delineation of that is the National Party yeah. and the Liberal Party, yeah. but I think there are elements of it in the Liberal Party right. as well. Uh, so um, so what should come out, philosophically, what should come out of the, of the um, budget, not in dollars and cents or, or particular programs, but... A, What's, what would you like to be able to summarise well, the budget as having well, said? Well, the budget's got to... Well, I think the, the thing about the budget and the, the Audit Commission is that uh, this will, is where the, the Abbott government has to um, lay out its cards on the table. You know, it has to say, 
this is what we think are, is important for the, the Australian economy. These are the things that we need to do. Yeah. Um, and, and not just in the budget. Not just in the budget. Yeah, I understand. Uh, I so use the budget. For, exactly. So, yeah. you know, I can debate about how what what the deficit should be and, yeah, yeah. you know, how much they should it's cut from spending. Dollars and cents. No, no, it's not just dollars yeah. and cents. It's a, it's, a, it's a statement about priorities. Yeah. And, you know, if you look back, I wrote this recently, if you look back in recent history, um, I think this moment is comparable with the Banana Republic moment, yeah. um, with the... Uh, the first Howard uh, Costello uh, budget, budget uh, yeah. um, the the response to um, the GFC. Yeah, uh, these are these were really the big, big moments. moments. Yeah, and, and I can um, remind you uh, on that Banana Republic moment. What actually happened is yes, um, big savings needed to be made, but the uh, phraseology that was adopted was restraint with equity. Yes. So the argument for restraining spending was put because the rest of the world was paying us less, but it needed to be seen to be fair. Yes, yeah. And yeah. interestingly, going back into politics, there was a budget in uh, 1986 and then a statement in early 1987. Um, they were the biggest, almost the biggest cuts in spending in history. Gillard government's last budget was the biggest right. cuts in history. Right. But... Uh, the Labor vote went up. Yes, right. Yeah, it went up because it was seen to be fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's yeah. But I think the public uh, is quite willing to mm. accept the need for things to be done if they're done in a fair way. Yeah, and um, for a good reason. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think what, you know, obviously this government's uh, Joe Hockey's identified the sort of entitlement problem. Um, the you know the yeah. middle class welfare thing. There's clearly some big decisions got to be made about that, but. Um, you know, the uh, working people will not take kindly to, you know, being belted um, yeah. uh, as part of that process. Yeah. I mean, there's difficult decisions about, you know, the wages, level of wages in Australia, yeah. I think, which um, you've and Ross have alluded to. Yeah. Um, but if if this government's agenda is purely about workplace reform, then... Mm. I'll get hammered. Exactly. Yeah, I'll so, get hammered. Yeah. And even on the middle class welfare, you know, I mean, the truth is... Previous government did quite a lot of pushing yes. back on middle class welfare, and they were all opposed by the coalition. Yeah. Now the coalition is talking about disability support, pension, and new start, but want to introduce an extravagant pay parental yeah. leave scheme. I don't think you can make changes here while saying no. Oh, what we can. I think that's this. right, and I mean, I really think the paid parental leave scheme is is, is an indulgence that I, I. I mean, this could be this is probably a very important test of Abbott's leadership. Mm. Um, he should stand up and say, okay, I believe in this scheme, it's important for the country in the long term, but at the moment, yeah. it's, you know, we've got higher priorities, priorities exactly, yeah. and we'll come back to it. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that would be a sort of Kevin Rudd climate change moment, yeah. uh, ETS yeah. moment. I think that would be seen as quite mm. the opposite to yeah. that. It well, would we'll be. see what happens. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So. Um, Jeff, if there's one thing that you could change, I mean, given all of your experience, everything that you've seen, where we are now, what would you see as the most important change that would give you the greatest sort of sense that we're making progress? Um, I think um, I, uh, a real consensus returning about what we need to do. Um, um, and I think there's a role for the business leadership in that. I think there's a role for 
um, the uh, academic institutions, and I think there's a very important role for the political leaders uh, in recognising that things have to change and that we've got to sit down and work out what those changes are going to be. Maybe an economic summit. Is I was what about, we need. But you were, as you were speaking, <laughs> this is exactly what Hawke did in the early exactly. days of his government. Maybe an economic summit involving business, yep. uh, union movement, uh, community organisations, government, federal state because of the issues there and set out what the problems are and then say, come on, let's work together yeah. to solve this. Yeah. Well, you know, people thought it was a bit of a joke when first when Hawke first proposed yeah. it and a lot of people in the Labor Party thought that. That's right. But it wasn't. Yeah. You know, it was very, very effective and um, you know, maybe it's time to do something like that again. I can't see Tony Abbott doing it because I think his view is that, you know, governments make these decisions and set these directions. Mm. But, um, Building consensus but, is very but, important. But cons yeah, exactly. And it was consensus that allowed reform to occur okay. at the, the speed that it did um, and, in the, you know, and the scope that it did. And I don't think it's going to be possible without yeah. some sort of consensus being achieved again. Jeff Kidney, thank you very much Thanks for Brad. appearing on MO Forum. My pleasure.